Hello, and welcome to Midweek in the Word podcast, brought to you by Faith Bible in Lincoln, Nebraska. Every week, we strive to become better readers, hearers, and doers of God's Word. Look for us every Wednesday where you stream your podcasts. Here's our host, Faith Bible's Adult Ministries pastor, Brad Myers. Hello again, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Midweek in the Word. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us here on the podcast. Hopefully, it'll be an encouragement to you. And, and I do hope that last week was an encouragement as well, as uh, hopefully you got the chance to listen to my discussion with Gordon Opp. I know I enjoyed the discussion. I enjoyed having Gordon on the podcast, and hopefully it was an encouragement to you as well. Uh, but I'm also really excited as we move back into our Bearing Witness series here on the podcast. We've covered the first five books of the law. We've covered the historical books, up to Israel's exile in Babylon, and now we get kind of the rest of the story. We transition into the books that tell the history of Israel's return from that exile, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. I'm I'm looking forward to this discussion. I think it'll be an encouragement to you, uh, partially because of who we've got here on the podcast. So let me introduce our guest this week on the podcast. He's been on the podcast once before, but back again, James Wilson, FBC's middle school and high school ministries pastor, um, who recently took our youth through these two books, if I recall correctly. That's correct. So welcome onto the podcast, James. Well, thank you. I'm really looking forward to our discussion. Uh, listeners, you're going to get a little bit of a taste of the depth of teaching that our middle schoolers and high schoolers get in the youth ministry. And uh, I think you'll find it to be quite challenging as these books are incredibly encouraging and challenging for me as well. Uh, but before we actually get into the content of these two books, let me just backtrack here a little bit and say uh, last Sunday was Tom's final service here at Faith Bible Church. He shared some final thoughts for the church from the book of Ephesians. If you missed that message, remember you can always find those on our website, faithbiblelincoln.org. On the main page, you can find that sermons button, and you can follow it along with any of those. You can catch up on any sermons you may have missed. You can also search for Faith Bible Church Lincoln, Nebraska, wherever you get your podcasts, and catch up on any of those sermons from our sermons feed there as well. All right, now, James, let's dive in here. Obviously, you've spent a fair amount of time in these two books teaching them to our youth, um, but we're going to approach this as if our listeners haven't had the, <laughs> the, the understanding sure. and the wealth of that. Uh, so let's, let's start in from the beginning here. What is the occasion and situation of Ezra and Nehemiah? Sure. Well, what a lot of people don't realize is that this, this book was actually one book to begin with in the Hebrew Bible, and most uh, people understand that Ezra put this book together and organized it using his own account um, for the book of Ezra and then taking uh, Nehemiah's memoir for uh, Nehemiah. So you, you read Nehemiah, it's in firsthand account, but Ezra kind of organized the, the book together. And um, as as you were mentioning there in your introduction, the, kind of the, the backstory to this is, is God taking his people into the promised land and, you know, giving them a command. You, you obey me, honor me, um, and you're mm-hmm. welcome to stay. Be blessed. Um, if you don't, you, you'll need to be removed. And after God's people repeatedly disobeyed, God showed grace. Um, gave them chance after chance, which uh, obviously you have talked about here on the podcast. And uh, um, eventually, though, God followed through and allowed, um, used actually King Nebuchadnezzar to overtake Jerusalem. And he did a couple key things that are really important to Ezra and Nehemiah when he did that. Uh, First of all, he plundered it. He took Mm -hmm. a lot of the articles out of the temple, um, 
took away a lot of anything that was worth any value whatsoever, and then he destroyed uh, the the city. I mean, that's what kings would do to keep uh, cities from rising up against them, was uh, destroy their walls and their structures. And then the, the second thing that was really important to this, obviously, was he took God's people captive and hauled uh, most of them back into uh, Babylon, where they lived in exile. But uh, as we know, um, in, in looking at other prophets as well, we see that, that leading up to this, and even in their time in captivity, God promised that he would eventually restore mm. his people. And uh, that restoration is captured here in, in this book and uh, in the book of Esther as well. That kind of is what follows up their exile time, and uh, that's the backstory of what led up to this book and what you've been hearing in um, the, the previous podcast as well. Yeah, listeners, this is one of those prime examples of kind of the organization of the Bible. As we've talked about the king period, as we talked about the establishment in 1st and 2nd Samuel, and then the kings in 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, how Daryl talked about how this is, this is kind of the reaction to that. And we've got this time period, but because of the way our Bibles flow, we obviously haven't read the book of Jeremiah yet. We haven't talked about the book of Lamentations, lamenting the fall of Jerusalem. Don't worry, we're going to get to that. It's going to be a few weeks. So try to keep the timeline straight in your head. We're after all that. We're after now the 70 years of captivity, and that's where we find ourselves. Yep. So then if Ezra is chronicling this, if he's pulling this together from his account, Nehemiah's account, uh, how does he organize telling this story? Sure, and this this actually begins... Uh, exactly where Chronicles ends. Like the the very first verse of Ezra was the very last verse of Chronicles, and it begins with a new king, King Cyrus, uh, releasing the Jews. And just as a side note, if you read through this this book, the, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, what you see repeatedly is God use these pagan kings throughout the story. Mm. And the story begins, I'll just read the first verse, says, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm. And in verse 3, it declares that part of that proclamation was, any of God's people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel. And so God moved the heart of this pagan mm. king to do this, and that was the beginning of the story. And really, the the bulk of, of the book, the, these two books, again, I keep saying the book because it was originally one, um, really happened in three kind of main events. The, the first was the rebuild of the altar and the temple, and you see that in Ezra uh, 1 through 6. And here's how that unfolded, really. Um, after God released um, the, the captives, had King Cyrus release the, the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem in chapter 1, uh, chapter 2 gives us a list of uh, those who returned and mm. their settlement in and around Jerusalem. And uh, one of the key things that you see there is that Zerubbabel uh, was put into leadership of those efforts. Ezra wasn't actually involved in this uh, process just yet, but uh, that's who God was using at this point. And then you go into chapter 3, you see that the, the Jews actually began not by rebuilding the temple, but by rebuilding the altar. And mm. what that what that was for was so they could begin uh, sacrifices. And the, the main story is clearly around the temple rebuild, mm. um, 
but they began to, to lay the foundation for that. But the focus here, and, and the important thing about chapter 3, is that they, they focus their attention on worship of the Lord and making sacrifices to atone for their sin. They recognized God's grace, and they were worshipful because mm. of it. And mm-hmm. so in chapter 4, I mean, this is all good things, um, but uh, um, chapter 4, you start to begin to see some problems unfold, and uh, there becomes a new king, King Artaxerxes, and uh, their enemies wrote this new king and said that the Israelites were were rebellious people against all the previous kings. They said in the letter um, that that they needed to be squelched out because they didn't pay taxes and and all of these other things um, about the Israelites. And King Artaxerxes wrote in response and said, okay, let's let's force them to stop. We don't want this to rise up. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he squelched it. And, And in chapter 5, what you then see happen are uh, two prophets, uh, Haggai and Zechariah, come onto the scene, and they go to God's people, and they say, hey, we know that you've been told to stop, but you need to build, and mm-hmm. you need to move forward with this. And so there's a, a guy named Tetenei, um, who is kind of the governor of that area, the trans-Euphrates area, and uh, he wrote the now new king, who was King Darius, and he asked for direction on what to do. He said, this, these people have been told to stop, but they're building. Um, and this entire chapter actually captures his letter to the king. And what happened next kind of goes back to the idea of God working through these pagan kings, because in chapter 6, what you see is King Darius announce his support of them building. But it wasn't just like, hey, let them build. It was... I want you to use the the royal treasury to fund their efforts, mm-hmm. to give to them, and to mm-hmm. help them. And he even put really a rather gruesome consequence in place for anyone who stood in the way of it. Um, and uh, God used this as a way to allow the Israelites to finish building the temple and uh, to complete that. And once they did you see the celebration of the Passover take mm-hmm. place. And that kind of completed the, really the first act of mm-hmm. um, the, the book. And the second main act um, was the, the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the wall, which is actually captured in the first six chapters of Nehemiah. Mm-hmm. And what you see take place there is Nehemiah is still in Babylon. He had not yet gone back to Jerusalem. And uh, he, he got word of how the city was still lying in ruin. He was mourning over this, over the condition of the people um, and, and the city itself. And so he sought the Lord, and God laid it on his heart to appeal to King Artaxerxes, who, if you recall, we just said made them stop the effort. And <laughs> right. so um, so he appeals to the king because he, he is working for the king. The king sees him sad, brings him in, says, what's going on? And uh, he, he appeals on behalf of his people. And the, the king actually then sends him um, to, to rebuild its walls and gates and other structures in the city as well. And mm-hmm. uh, Nehemiah went and he inspected those things. Uh, you see that in chapter 2. In chapter 3, they kind of begin to rebuild the wall, each family doing their part. And just to be honest with you, this is a arduous chapter to read. It is. Um, <laughs> There's a it, few of those in this. It, it is. There, there, there absolutely are. And, and this chapter is, is, honestly, it can be a little boring, but 
there's a beauty in it. And, mm. and that beauty is what happens when God's people come together, each doing their part to accomplish what he's asking. Mm. Obviously, uh, a great and beautiful picture of, of the church, but mm. that's what you see taking place in chapter 3. Yeah. Um, well, and, and if I may, if I can interrupt sure, you here absolutely. real quick. The other image that I think is really potent to think about that, I mean, we read the rebuilding of the temple, and it's all these things, all this measurements and all this stuff, and with the rebuilding of the walls, and it's all these lists of people and things. But if we, if we try to appropriately capture what was expressed in you know, Zion and the Psalms, which we haven't gotten to yet, this idea of safety and security and the presence of God, right. he's establishing these incredible realities that yep. would have been so resonant with the people that were exiled for 70 years and just getting back to their home, and the walls are rebuilt. And yep. worship is restored. And these would have been so critical to them absolutely. how this would have taken place. Absolutely. And we kind of miss that sometimes no, <laughs> in I, our own era. So it's absolutely true. And that's one of the things we were we were talking about the last couple of weeks as we've studied through um, the, this book. And uh, it, it wasn't without a lot of opposition. And mm, frankly, yeah. I mean, where, where we left off there at the end of chapter three, you go into chapter four, and that's exactly what happens. I mean, yeah. ne- Nehemiah and, and the people um, face this opposition from their enemies, and they really turn it back over to the Lord, and they yep. trust Him to yep. protect them. They stayed focused. They kept doing uh, what God called them to do. Um, but what happens is in chapter 5, you begin to see that the people uh, who were doing the work weren't just being oppressed by their enemies. It was actually coming from inside their yeah, own people yeah. as well. And and it's a tough story to read, but th- th- these people were so focused on, on rebuilding uh, the walls and everything that they were having to take out loans to keep you know eating and paying their taxes and... Mm. God's people, their own family, um, were charging them ridiculous amounts of interest on these loans. And so they were essentially going into poverty just to do this, and they appealed to Nehemiah. Nehemiah you know, steps in, calls out those yep. who were doing it, and uh, and praise the Lord, they they repented. Uh, yeah. they, they responded to that. And then once again in chapter 6, uh, like you were talking about, the, the wall gets completed, despite all of these distractions, and, um, and and then you begin to see kind of the third focus of mm-hmm. the book, which is exactly what, what you just said, which is the refocus on the law, on the Word of God, on their worship of God, uh, really their spiritual condition. You see that in Ezra 7 through 10, um, Nehemiah 7 through 13. And uh, in fact, in Ezra uh, chapter 7, what, what you actually see once again, I mean, we, we just talked about King Artaxerxes, who obviously went through a, a heart change somewhere in there. He stopped the efforts, then sends you know, both Ezra and Nehemiah um, to, to go back. And, and what he sent Ezra to do uh, was to focus on spiritual transformation. And uh, no one really knows why. Why there was a change in heart? Uh, what we do know um, is his dad Xerxes was king when Esther. Um, mm-hmm. That that whole story unfolded, and uh, th- there's there, there's clearly something that God was doing to work in these kings' hearts to uh, mm-hmm. to make a place for the Israelites again. And so, in you know chapter eight, God moves uh, Ezra um, and others into Jerusalem, and uh, uh, he sets up the the priests and the Levites to minister before. God. And in, in chapter 7 and 8 of, of Nehemiah, you see actually 
really the same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the move in there and uh, putting people into leadership and uh, centering then their attention in Nehemiah chapter 8 around the word. Like Ezra comes into Nehemiah's account, and that, that's where they kind of overlap mm-hmm. and, and tell the same story where Ezra comes in and begins to read the law. These other Levites are there helping explain to the people and... Um, the, the people actually responded in celebration, they respond in worship, and what you see throughout r- really the last several chapters until chapter 13 is they, they went on to confess sin before the yeah. Lord. Yeah. You see all these people, you know, moving into Jerusalem, becoming a part of it, priests and Levites, you know, put into place. This is all really, really good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, God was blessing, they were responding in obedience, but... Mm. Both in Ezra and Nehemiah, um, they actually end very, very poorly. Mm. Um, God set them free from these human oppressors, and their desire for sin was so great, and they indulged in it. And so specifically, many of them uh, began to marry spouses who were not seeking the Lord, and that Mm. was one of the primary sins, as you know, that sent them into exile to begin with. And so in Ezra, it says that they actually sent many of those wives and and children away who were not worshiping the Lord and and forced them to to divorce, which was not commanded by God. It was a, a solution that they came up with on their own. And that's how the book ends, mm. is in that hopeless, dark place yeah. in both books. And we want a happily ever after at the end of books. Mm-hmm. It didn't come here. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is really a... It's, it's a painful reminder, too. And we've talked about it, listeners, you know, over the history of Israel. We talked about Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, all these chances that God gave and all this mercy that he offered, and so many opportunities to return to him, and sometimes it goes well, sometimes it goes poorly, but the Israelites, this repeated cycle of God blesses them, they become arrogant, they do what they want, they fall away from God. And then we see this cycle repeated so many times through the Old Testament, and Ezra and Nehemiah, even after the exile, even after these 70 years in captivity being brought back to the land, the human heart hasn't changed. That's right. We still have this desire to rebel against God, even when we're set up in this great place, yep. this great environment, um, this great security and the worship of God being restored. Okay, so obviously one of the things we recognize as we're reading through both of these pretty quickly is, is these are stories. This, this is right. a genre of narrative. Um, we're reading a story, um, but it's a story that's thousands of years removed from where we are today. How, how do we as 21st century American readers go about reading these two books? Okay. Um, yeah. Obviously, this is a historical story. I mean, that you you noted in the introduction how this ties into Chronicles, all these previous books of history, mm-hmm. and so I mean, we should understand it as such, and and that is great to know um, God's history with His people. Um, but but one of the things that that I would really encourage people to remember, and I did with our youth as well, is to just beware because as we read things like this, our minds desire um, things to be done chronologically, Mm. and we Mm -hmm. we want it step by step by step and what happened. And obviously, 
I just gave a, a very, very quick overview of both of these books and how they mesh together. And there's parts that you read and you say, well, wait, this already happened. Wait, this didn't happen. Mm, Wait, mm-hmm. what's going on here? You, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and I would I would just encourage you to remember that you know throughout Scripture this happens. Um, yep. it, it happened in Genesis. It happens throughout the Gospel. These people were very um, oral. Uh, tradition, you know, storytelling cultures, and uh, telling stories is only kind of chronological. Okay, and and <laughs> we what do I that mean in by movies that? Today, yet, yes, too. A- absolutely. Yeah. And uh, in in Genesis six, I just was reading this um, uh, last month or so with with my kids, and we saw you know God dealing with man's sin, and He said, "Okay, I'm going to limit man's number of years on earth to 120." The very next chapter and the chapter after, you you read all these people who lived far beyond that, yeah, and you think, yeah. wait a minute, what just happened here? <laughs> yeah. And and so, you, you know, it did happen, but it wasn't until later on. But the story's being told now, and the gospels are compiled uh, really the same way, where they're in the basic same order, but the stories are in a little bit different uh, order because of how the people remembered it. Mm. And 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 I get this, like I I know. A lot of people um, know that I I love going to the mountains. And last fall, I went out there and did a five day you know trip up into the mountains, up into the Tetons, and and camped and everything. When I came back, people are asking story, you know, asking for me to tell them what happened. And I and I walked through kind of day by day what we did, and then I'd get to about day four and remember, oh yeah, on day two this happened. Yes, yes. and so I have to go back and tell you know. Day two, this happened that led to day three, this happening, then led to day four, this happened. And so that happens a lot throughout um, mm. these two books. Uh, w- one example of that, uh, where there is one of those flashbacks, I mean, we, again, in Ezra, you see uh, chapter one through six, uh, Zerubbabel go uh, rebuild the altar, the, the temple. In chapter seven, it talks about how Ezra comes to Jerusalem, and it explains that for about a chapter and a half. Mm. And then all of a sudden, mid-chapter 8, there's an assembly of the people that took place, and you start to look at it and think, this is happening in Jerusalem. But the more you look at it, it's like, wait a minute, they're not in Jerusalem, they're in Babylon. What just happened? I thought they were in Jerusalem. And what happened was they flashed back and gave an explanation of how they arrived in Jerusalem. And we don't think in those terms. Like right. we, we just we really have to be careful mm. when we read books like this and understand that this was documented after the fact and it was documented by people who were remembering different parts as it as it happened and then went back and explained, okay, this is what really happened here yeah. to yeah. give further explanation. Yeah. So keep that in mind as yeah. as you read through that. Okay, so we're we're reading historically true facts, what actually took place, but it's organized thematically more than chronologically, something worth keeping in mind. Um, If that's the case, obviously there's a reason that the original author, both divine and human, organized it in the way they did. Um, If they're trying to convey a thematic element by jumping around in the story, there's a primary message going on. What is it that these two books, these one book, is seeking to communicate that's right, and you know, uh, obviously, you've you've worked through this with the other books and and uh, talked about the the primary message. And I got to be honest with you, as I 
thought about how to answer these first few questions, it was hard not to bring this part up because yeah. this is tied into everything that we just discussed. Um, yep. But the, what the story is doing is very much highlighting God's faithfulness to his word, mm-hmm. God's faithfulness to his promises, God's faithfulness to his people. And we look at these stories and we see the characters in them, uh, Zerubbabel, obviously, Ezra, um, very clearly Nehemiah. We we talk about him a lot in in that book. And it's hard not to see them as the main characters because they're the main human characters. But the truth is, in chapter after chapter, in page after page, every book of the Bible, not just these two, it's it's God who's doing a work in people's hearts. It's him who's being uh, faithful to fulfill what he promised to do, to be mm-hmm. uh, faithful to his word. And so th- this, this whole book is very much about God's restoration of his people, mm-hmm. and it very much shows his desire to set his people free, uh, to bless them, to keep them focused on worship of him and to live uh, in that blessing, and so that's that's kind of the the, the heart of why I think this this book is uh, in the Bible. Mm. And I love that you note that theme. Obviously, as I'm, as we're talking through this whole discussion, I'm thinking about the other books that lace together. You know, Daniel and how God is working through him in the hearts of kings in a foreign land, and how that interplays with the people being able to return. You mm-hmm. know, and or, or next week we're going to talk about the book of Esther and the overt lack of God being mentioned, but God's divine, invisible hand on the lives both of Esther and also the kings of Babylon, and what all is going on in this situation, and things like that. Okay, so so we've got this primary message. we got that God is again trying to drive home his faithfulness to his word and to his people, uh, regardless of how they respond <laughs> as, yeah. as these people eventually fall away as well. Um, but one of the things we also want to make sure we highlight is we've got to take any Old Testament understanding through the person and work of the cross. We have That's to make right. sure we're interpreting in light of Christ. So where do we find Christ anticipated, seen, uh, looked for in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. That's right. Well, I, I like the, the last thing you said there, because there aren't any really overt prophecies for mm-hmm. Christ necessarily, but um, but he's there. And uh, I, I think there are a number of uh, gospel connections here and there throughout um, both books, but primarily what we see as you work through that is our desperate need for a Savior. Mm-hmm. Um, God redeemed his people, set them up perfectly, and like you said just a few minutes ago, they they went straight back into sin. Um, And it was because they couldn't set themselves free uh, from that. The, The law was perfect, the focus of the people was even there but they couldn't break free of the bondage uh, that they were in. And so the, the, the backstory is just like ours. I mean, everything we looked at before, they were in um, exile because it was punishment for their sin, um, mm-hmm. and, and we deserve punishment uh, for our sin. But, but God said, you're not going to receive that uh, for long. You're going to receive grace. And mm. so he steps in, and that's the story, really, of the gospel. That's the story of what we see take place here. And it's hard not to think about, you know, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, yeah. as, as you think about yeah. this story, you know, that it, it was truly by grace that they were saved um, through faith. It wasn't a work of their own. They got what they deserved by going into exile. We should get what we deserve um, for our sin, which is is death, but 
this story serves as, as a reminder um, that, that we cannot earn our salvation on our own. Um, it, it's it, it's mm-hmm. only something that, that God can give by grace. And uh, um, so that, that obviously then points to the cross and points to uh, what, what Christ did to uh, grant us grace through that. Mm. Amen. Amen. Okay, so obviously you're talking about the, the emphasis on, on Christ, the emphasis on repentance and our need for a Savior here. Um, and that, that's probably exactly what the next answer to the next question will be, as we, as we want to make sure that even as we're reading uh, these Old Testament books, we have a tendency to be like, well, those are nice stories for a period in the past. Um, there's no relation to me today, right? Like, <laughs> what does God want us to understand, believe, do, desire? How do we apply this in our own lives? Yeah, that's right. And, you know, there are so many different lessons as you read through, obviously, mm-hmm. in all of Scripture, there are so many different lessons that we can learn along the way. But like you said, what, what we just talked about is so important. And it's important for us as believers, too. Like, we, mm-hmm. we often think about salvation for those who don't believe. Um, but the truth is, you and I desperately need Christ every day. We desperately need His grace every single day. God sets us up perfectly, but we're still prone to sin, and we're still drawn to that. And so we, as God's people who have a, a perfect law, um, we, we still are driven into sin, and, and we can't operate outside of that except for by the grace of Christ. And so, you know, it, it's, it's important that we remember this, that the only solution to our sin is the gospel, and it's allowing Christ to saturate our lives, our attitudes, our actions, our words, everything, um, that, that we allow Him to do that. Otherwise, we're going to go right back into our pattern just like the Israelites yep. did. And it, and it is, it's, it's something we've talked about several times as we've worked through this uh, book and in high school, Sunday school, is uh, it, it's easy to look at the Israelites and say, yeah, those, those people did it all <laughs> wrong yeah. while ignoring us, you know, and and the fact that, you know, I mean, it's Matthew 7, it's we we look at other people and we see um, the speck in their eye while we've got a plank sticking out of our own. And uh, it's it's then to allow ourselves to, um, you know, the the Lord to minister to us and to convict us and to remind us Mm -hmm. of our need for Him in in absolutely every area of our lives. Mm. Yeah. We've said it again and again, listeners, obviously, if you've been listening throughout the year, you know we keep coming back to the Israelites serve as a glimpse into our own hearts. That's right. We have a tendency to think we would have responded differently given those circumstances, but the truth is it's there to remind us that people respond in that way to God every time. That's right. (laughs) Apart from the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Very good. Well, listeners, that's kind of it for this discussion on Ezra and Nehemiah. Let me remind you of some of the high points here, just as you go into reading these books for yourselves in the next part, some of what James has talked about here, uh, this two-part book talking about um, Israel having been plundered and the people being sent into exile, and God returns them. We see the altar rebuilt, uh, especially in Ezra, to your point, the temple rebuilt. We see the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the walls, um, and there's this rededication to the law, to the Word of God, 
to the worship of God. These, these people get reestablished the way they should be, and it's driving home this theme that God is faithful to his word, he's faithful to his promises, he's faithful to his people, and yet both books emphasize that we, as sinful people, are ten, tend to not be faithful to God in, in response, and this desperate need for a Savior in Ephesians, this desperate need for Christ to come on the scene, uh, this need for grace and Christ every day, repentance every day, um, and the need of a Savior is really the drumbeat of these two books, as we've talked about in the past as well with the books of Chronicles and others as well. Any, any final thoughts, any encouragements that you want to leave our listeners with on these two books, James? Yeah, you know, and I said this earlier, but it's so easy for us to do is to read through this and get focused on the people and not the God behind the story, mm, you, you yeah. know? And I, I know that's the case, and we we want to look for different ways of how does this apply to me all the time. Um, but the truth is God was doing something here that we can't miss. And uh, um, to just look at the people involved and to kind of uh, assess how they handled it, like you said, I, I would do it so differently. Well, no, we wouldn't, because <laughs> if somebody wrote a book about our lives, it would be rather scary. But, uh, um, but the truth is, I mean, just really pay attention to what God is doing here and his faithfulness to his people despite mm. what his people did. Mm. Good encouragement for all of us. Uh, good reminder. Thank goodness God is faithful in spite of our fallen Amen. unfaithfulness. Amen. Very good. Well, listeners, that is it for the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. We'll move into Esther next week, but let me remind you that this coming Sunday, we'll be jumping into a new series here at the church, looking at some of the things that the early church devoted themselves to in Acts 2, 42 through 47. Uh, we'll see some of those priorities, how they anchor the church going forward. We'd love to have you join us at either our 9 o'clock or 1030 services, as Ron Stolle will be in the pulpit talking about the apostles' teaching, talking about the Word. I also want to note a couple of things. We've got a baptism opportunity coming up on May 15th. If, if you have a personal relationship with Christ, if you've expressed exactly what James was talking about, salvation in him, but have never taken that first step of obedience toward being baptized and publicly declaring your allegiance to Christ, we'd love for you to contact the office, contact us here at the church. You can send an email to office at fbclnk.org. Um, I also just want to mention, if you're new to the church and have started listening to the podcast, we're thrilled that you're along. Uh, if you want to get engaged with the church a little bit more, think about filling out one of our connections cards. You can find that in physical at the uh, information desk, or you can find that on our website, faithbiblelincoln.org as well. And we'd love to get to know you. We'd love to hear your story and be, see if there's any way we can be a ministry to you. And that's it for this week's episode. Thanks for taking the time to listen. If it's been helpful, remember you can always share it, rate it, or comment on it to help other people find it. And we hope you join us again next week for Esther on Midweek in the Word. Thanks for taking time to join us for Midweek in the Word. To hear previous podcast episodes, be sure to follow, like, and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. To learn more about Faith Bible Church, please visit our website at www.faithbiblelincoln.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Faith Bible Lincoln or tweet us at FBC Lincoln. And now we leave you with these encouraging words from Hebrews 12. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith.